0: Hello and welcome to Zera Today. I'm your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation. We are promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming, and we are here to help you, our listeners, to know and impact the world around us. And as always, you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. There's several ways you can do so. Um, You can always... On the live broadcast, you can call in um, and get your thoughts, insights on the air. That's three four seven two three seven five two three one five two three zero. 5230, excuse me. And uh, get in contact with us on any of our social media. Follow us on our Facebook page, zero Network on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. The show handle is at zero Radio, and my personal handle is at Lorenzo T. Neal. Also, you can send us an email at uh, PastorLorenzoNeal at gmail.com. Any other places we may be, uh, you're welcome to join us on that. We're glad that we are able to share this show with you, and we're glad that you are tuning in. And each and every time we do so, we're hoping that this is benefiting you, empowering you, and liberating you to go out and do all that God wants you to do. So today we're going to be talking about a few things I want to talk about um, <clears throat> the plague of suicide that is happening uh, Well, I want to call it the plague But trauma and suicide, the connection between the two the Death by suicide And also I want to speak on um, truth and integrity regarding our church and Well, not just church, our society Truth and integrity altogether. As we wrestle with this idea of absolute truth in its purest uh, sense, what is truth, how do we know what truth is, who's telling the truth, how can we trust sources that we hear and we get from. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. But I want to start off um, by sending our condolences to the families of those um Victims of parkland uh, shooting um, we have two student survivors who took their lives by uh, suicide and a father of a a child first grader killed in a Newtown shooting in 2012 who also took his life by suicide uh, and what we're finding and what we know the evidence supports this is traumatic events. Um, Oftentimes, carry a different type of grief when a person who uh, has a loved one who dies by violent death be it by gun violence or death by suicide and it is very traumatic. Uh, as a survivor of gun violence, I know I, uh, actually I've had three loved ones directly uh, three immediate family members my mother, my brother and my nephew killed in acts of violence my mother and nephew were killed in acts of violence that involved a gun my brother Emmanuel was killed in 2010 in an act of violence that involved the stabbing and um i think the easiest one for me to deal with um was the death of my mother because i was so young and i wasn't really you know i didn't understand the trauma that accompanied with that and i had great support system with her parents my grandmother my grandfather her sisters my aunts um and a wonderful village who who helped us i mean all of the parents all of the grandparents on my block you know uh, that's just the truth all the all the adults contributed to the welfare and well-being of all of the children on our block in our neighborhood pretty much within a three three four block radius you know parents knew who children people were so I could walk around I could walk three blocks from my house and and the, the 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 ladies in particular and the men too they knew my grandfather very well but the ladies would know like I shouldn't be (laughs) <laughs> if it's if it was getting dusk, time for dusk life's going they knew and they would they'd be on the phone with my to my grandmother's house and before I knew it, you know, I'd be they'd be waiting on me when I get home. But I had a wonderful village that um supplemented the the care for me and the um in raising me that helped me and my uh, brothers cope with the trauma. Now my brother Emmanuel probably was the he, he was the one who uh, had the most difficulty in childhood. Uh, he was the one who acted out the most I put it that way um, and so because he acted out the most um, he um, he had some issues but the Lord uh, the Lord and he, he and the Lord got it together before he passed. Um, so I didn't really deal with the trauma of my mother's death. I didn't know, I don't really think I was affected by that until um, my young adulthood. And that's when I began to see the symptoms of the PTSD from uh, my mother's death. I had been pretty much shielded from that through a lot of activity. Um, but in 2010, when my brother was killed, now I was already, I I was about to turn 30 30, 35, I was about to turn 35, yeah, 35, (laughs) and um, his death by way of stabbing, really, that's when I really experienced a deep depression, and a deep sense of guilt, um, or survivor's guilt, from his death, and I I was really, even, I was pastoring, I was working and um, I was deeply traumatized by his death. And um, I didn't act out as far as I can recall. I may have, but um, I didn't do anything stupid. Let me put it that way. I'm quite sure I acted overtly. Um, you know, I, I'm quite sure that I did some things irrationally, but they weren't over, you know, wasn't over the top but i i dealt with the trauma of how he died and the guilt of not being there when he died for uh for a long time for for a long time I actually uh, up until um no i can't even say up until i still deal with that it. it's just not as great as it once was um after his death i while i did not contemplate suicide i had a very deep sense of loss um altogether holistically i had a deep sense of loss loss in um loss not just because he was my brother but loss in the sense of i went to the hospital i prayed with him he was looking as if he would recover though it, you know he may have lived in a vegetative state um i prayed with him and when we left the hospital after I prayed with him, not long after that he you know he passed away, and I wrestled with that idea my prayer was not effective, my prayer was effortless, my prayer was powerless and um and so I wrestled with that that sense of loss I also wrestled with the sense of loss of not being there because I was The intent was to be there the day he was stabbed. I was on my way home to attend an event. And I talked with him and my other brother Joshua and my grandparents let them know that I was going to be there that Wednesday. and, And then when Wednesday came, I wasn't feeling well. And so because I was not feeling well, I did not go home that day. And later that evening, he was stabbed. And I felt Horrible. Because in my mind, I was thinking I could have prevented that event from happening. Of course, that, that was irrational, but that is what I was thinking. I was thinking if only I had been there when I said I would be there, I could have prevented. He could have been with me, and he could have done this, and we could have done that. And all of the events foreshadowing and leading up to his demise were preventable if I had been there. And of course, that was not the truth. that's not the truth um and i I dealt with and I wrestled with that. I struggled with it um for a number of years and uh, as I stated earlier, it's not as great as it once was, but it's still present, and I'm still aware that those emotions and those uh uh those thoughts are still there, but I've learned how to manage them in a in a way that uh Do not overwhelm me. Which I am grateful for. But I also dealt with the loss. of uh, A sense of loss spiritually. I was pastoring. And. um, I preached my brother's funeral. (laughs) And from what I was told. um, Even now. I go home and. Persons. They remember that eulogy. Which is. Which is good for me. It's, uh, it's a bit sobering and sombering for me um, to know that I was able to do so and do so well. Uh, but I had to go back to my church. I had to go back in ministry with that loss. And I was preaching. I was preaching. I was preaching and teaching and and doing ministry effectively but i was lost i um, was i began to question god i began to uh question my ministry i began to question the the faith that i had uh bought into i i, I did i was i was becoming semi skeptical uh, a skeptic you know i was doing all i could to justify my my feelings of loss even if it meant leaving not just the ministry but the faith altogether. So I was I was there. I, I was there and it did not if it had not been for again another support system, um, this coming from church and um the sense of need. I, I was codependent in the sense that I needed to be needed in ministry. Um and that, that was really driving me. And that is also what eventually saved me from the despair of the loss that I was feeling. Um, and so I, I was able to recover. But think about all of these, all of the persons who were like myself, who experienced trauma, whatever that trauma may have been, and they wrestled with that. Uh, in 2012, I was in a car accident. And um um I don't know if I really shared this story on air, but I was in a vehicle accident. I over um uh, over medicated on insulin if, um, unintentionally over medicated on insulin. I had a, a, a glucometer that gave me the wrong reading for whatever reason and um uh, so I'm thinking my blood glucose was high. My sugar level was high, and it was not, and as I was driving on my way to a general conference in 2012 in Nashville, Tennessee, I passed out, and, um, in passing out, I ran off the road, hit a tree head on, and I was about an hour outside Jackson, Mississippi, and the Lord spared my life, and (laughs) didn't spare the life of the vehicle, though, (laughs) but he spared my life, and, and, um, um I and I was still able to make it to that general conference and do the work of the church as I had been uh elected to do. When I got home, you know, I, I was grateful and not long thereafter I every time I pass up that way driving, I was get this sense of uh fear and I had anxiety after it and still suffer from the anxiety as a result of that accident. Um I, it, sometimes the anxiety attacks I have are so great, it's it, it paralyzing. But a um, uh, couple of years later, a you know, couple of years following that accident, there was a, 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 a person involved in a very similar accident in around the same area that um, happened to me, where it happened to me, and that person did not survive. So I wrestled with survivor's guilt. Um, matter of fact, anytime I hear of a of a car accident, anytime I hear of a car accident, I wrestle with survivor's guilt—the idea that I survived what should have been a deadly accident—and there's some persons who do not survive, and that that contributes to both my anxiety and the sense of loss and trauma. But those persons, like uh, the parent and of new, the Newtown student who was killed. And the two students from Parkland who um, took their lives by way of suicide. They both experienced, they all experienced trauma. The father overwhelmingly feeling the sense of loss of his only child, he and his wife's only child. And I can't. Imagine it. I know my brother can imagine it. My brother lost his only child, my nephew, Kevin Jr., in 2016, to an act of gun violence. And uh, I see how they are affected by that. His only son, not his only child, I'm sorry, but his only son, with his wife. Um, and and the father, grief, that, that father's grief was so overwhelming. Even now... 7 years after the event happened. Think about that. And and those students wrestling with the survivors guilt, the fact that they survived and their schoolmates did not. Um it it, it, it is it can be emotionally overwhelming even with the best support system. And as a therapist and counselor, Pastoral or counselor, I, I have to remind myself that while the church and while the ministry is, um, is effective in providing great care and a sense of community and a sense of support, um, we cannot always fulfill that role. Um, we can't always see it come to fruition, full fruition. Because sometimes it's, it can be just overwhelming to the individual, even with a support system. Um, and that that's what grieves me the most when I think about this. And also, we're seeing higher rates of death by suicide in the black community, and black males in particular. Uh, when, again, there's a greater sense of despondency for whatever reason. Um that we see in the black community and black males are, are are again we black males we are affected more and greatly to a greater degree than uh any other uh culture any other um any other percentage of any uh, population and a lot of things heart disease uh death by Cancer and prostrating colon, and of course, uh, death by way of violent homicide. We 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 are high in those areas, but now we're seeing a rise in death by suicide in black men for whatever reason. And we saw just recently with the high-profile death of the younger, restless star. I can't think of his name. um... But when he committed suicide, uh, when he I, oh my lord, I used to work committed when he uh, took his life by way of suicide because he was still grieving the loss of his son. Think about that; it, it is a tragic and 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 sometimes in some ways I believe the black church and the black church because we don't speak to these issues as pastors and we don't um, bring this into our voice. We don't bring our voice into this conversation or we don't even have the conversation. Uh we're seeing black men who are experiencing trauma both great and small and that trauma uh creates this sense of loss, this sense of devalue, this this sense of of uh, angst and all the other things you could probably think of on the negative emotional spectrum, and black men, we are already emotionally unhealthy. Uh, we are we're taught to be reactionary as black as black men from as early as boys. You know, we're taught we have to be tough. We're not supposed to be cry. We're supposed to be reacting. We have to react. That's our responsibility as as boys coming into men. That we are to be reactionary. We got to be strong. And we got to be ready to fight at all times. And and as. (laughs) As one said. We got to fight the power. And. um, Of course that can go several ways. But we're seeing this. And we must begin to address this. In our community. The idea of death by suicide. Across the board is. Is. Is is very tragic, and I know in some cultures there's this this uh, mythos of the the suicide pact or suicide is honorable matter of factly really, we have it in the scripture when you read the scripture and the story of Saul uh, who basically uh, took his own life or had his servant or uh, i don't know if it's yeah servant. Well, he had someone take his life, you know, so it was suicide by proxy in a way with uh, King Saul. And you can read that. And then you read about David's reaction upon learning that Saul had died at the hand, uh, at the request of death by his own sword and had (laughs) had the man who killed Saul, Saul killed. <laughs> boy that was that that David was something um, um anyway, so we hear of that, and we hear and we read of the prophets uh several prophets in the Old Testament who experiences great moments of depression and the the spoken request for death by suicide, although not carrying out the act you know the prophet uh, Elijah said. I should have been dead. I should be dead. I'm not worthy and of course, the prophet Jonah sat under the tree, depressed after carrying out um the command of God to to preach repentance to this group and so so we we are aware that death by suicide has been existing for a long time, and that does not negate. The fact that we still must be engaging this phenomenon. That we must address it. And that it is preventable. We should not allow a person to suffer in silence. If we know that that silence can be prevented. Can uh, you know we can provide a voice. (coughs) Excuse me. We can provide a voice to that silence. We should not allow them to suffer in silence. And. Um there are plenty of opportunities now. the crisis centers, that's the suicide hotline that you can call and um, I I'll, I'll include this information. Um, I already have it on my personal Facebook page so you can go there and you can get that information. but um there there are ways and we should be helping we should be uh, we should be giving our voice to this conversation. As a black community um while those persons who uh we're, we're seeing oh the yeah and i't didn't, I didn't even talk about the children recently uh that have made headlines because they they had death by suicide as young as nine and six years old because of bullying, and the teenagers, the black teenagers, the black children who are uh taking their lives. It is we shouldn't wait for it to be to the level of epidemic before we react. We need to be proactive as proactive as we can because if we are not what we will see will be an increase in this act, not just in the black community but across the span of uh, all communities in uh the yes do yes. <laughs> the u s United States, oh boy, I'm having fun this morning. I had my coffee, I have my coffee right here, actually. Maybe I should take a step uh a step. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with me and my vocabulary this morning, yeah, <laughs> but uh, I'm just having a bit of fun, but anyway, so um, we said, listen your prayers, let me pull up the information again for the national suicide hotline. So that you can, um, um, and, and you can get that information. The, if, if you or someone you know is showing symptoms of depression, showing symptoms of extreme depression and trauma. And they, you feel they may be at risk for death by suicide. You need to call the crisis line. And that number is 1-800-273-8255. 800-273-8255. That's the National Suicide Prevention Crisis Line. You should call that. Um, and... Well, You can you can do it online. They, you know, you can go online and and chat. Also, encourage persons, you know, to seek out counseling Uh, if they're in the church. Encourage them to seek out pastoral counseling. Um, I do offer pastoral counseling, um, not just to my members, but it is a full fledged counseling uh, center. And, you know, we we are trained in that and models of of counseling that will be effective and uh, fervent, and we believe will be helping, transformative, empowering, and liberating for you. So you can contact me if you need to at um, 601-355-8017. That's the number you can call if you'd like to schedule a session with me, uh, and we'll be able to help you with that. We want to change lives, and we want to save lives. So that's the way we can do that. We're going to set way now to, and I, I'm sounding so serious, but it's a very serious topic. This this is a very serious topic, and uh, I, I would approach it with humor, um, but as I have been affected by this, even though I have not uh, taken. Uh, I have not had the option, you know, or considered the option of death by suicide. I feel like it a whole lot (laughs) sometimes. (laughs) I feel like I should be. (laughs) Uh, No, just kidding. No. Um, We all experience those moments. But uh, we we need to, uh, for those who are suffering in silence, we want to get them help. So now let's segue into... This other issue that I want to talk about, and this is the issue of truth, and how can we trust truth in this world today? Who's telling the truth? I uh, took some little swag of my coffee there. Um, we 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 hear the, heard the news today. Well, not today, but recently. Of the Mueller report, um, Special Prosecutor Robert Mueller's report regarding an um, investigation into collusion and in the broad, broad, broadness of the accusations of Russian involvement, engagement, and the Trump campaign, campaign uh, collusion with the Russian government, and of course, the findings uh... suggested there was no evidence for collusion and so he was exonerated the campaign was exonerated not trump himself uh... i don't believe uh... president trump himself was being investigated but his campaign was being investigated and of course they did make several arrests in regarding to the campaign and uh... so so it is but regarding the actual act of collusion there's little, ev- little to no evidence suggesting that there was. Um, so, and Mr. President, uh, Mr. President Trump, has, uh, has been doing his victory lap in regards to celebrating the fact that he was found exonerated. Of course, the word there is, <laughs> it's up for debate as to what. Um. As far as exoneration from obstruction charges, that is, that is, in um ambiguity, 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 <laughs> that is ambiguous and um, indeterminate. And so we're just kind of left in limbo with that. And then we have the other story of Mr. J- Jussie Smollett, or however you say his name who has been not exonerated, but charges have been dropped against him regarding uh, what has been described as a false hate crime report. And if you watched the news, you saw how he felt vindicated and um, you saw how the the city of Chicago, and particularly the police force and the mayor, feel in regard to how... They still feel he is he is guilty, but anyway um I, I just wanted to address this those two issues because those two issues both surround the idea of truth who's telling the truth and what is the truth now I'm not getting in I'm not even going to go into a del- theological framework of this, but I'm going just from a um a framework of Of how we trust sources of the truth. um, And um, how those sources are then framed. How that truth is then framed within. uh, In such a way to persuade us to believe. One thing or another. And um, if you're not aware I am a. I'm on the Board of Intentional Insight, the Advisory Board of Intentional Insight. and That is a global organization that, um, is the creator of the Pro-Truth Pledge. And if you are not aware of the Pro-Truth Pledge, I want to give you an opportunity to go there and visit, uh, the website, uh, Pro-Truth Pledge and, um, uh that website is uh, protruthpledge.org and um i i took i took the pledge and uh, i've written an article on the site on behalf of this pledge and i am fully supportive of the idea that misinformation is is very dangerous and uh, misinformation contributes or has contributed to the incivility that we are experiencing across the spectrum of social media and uh, American discourse, politically, religiously, uh, socially. I, I, I believe that greatly, that because of the the easy spread of misinformation, that more people are now gullible to false truth, more people are now um, subject to being duped, and that's what happened in the 2016 election. We found uh, there was sufficient evidence to prove. That um there were entities, whether government I mean Russian government, whatever, or private individuals, there was sufficient evidence to prove that there was a great uh, misinformation misinformation influx into social media, particularly social uh Facebook um, and of course you can go back and find out. What happened with Facebook and the integrity of their site and you know, all the bias or whatever, uh, and we're seeing that now play out in real time. But um, but what we see, what what we what we know, the question is how much do we know about what we know, and that gets into a philosophy. Philosophical argument of knowledge and um, and I'm not trying to get into epistemological arguments here. Epistemological epistemology is the that's the philosophical branch of the study of knowledge, and I'm not I, you know I'm not going to get into that. How do we how certain are we about what we know, particularly when it comes to truth in uh, this current current environment, because much of what we get, where we get our information from, will determine our bias regarding that information, and we all have a bias. We have an informed bias, whether we care to admit it or not. We have a bias that hinders us from fully apprehending truth. But we get we get pockets of truth, but it's not fully accurate, you know. So um, when we watch social media, when we're on social media, Twitter in particular, Facebook in particular, and these uh, these outlets provide stories that we just regurgitate, uh, oftentimes without even reading or validating the source material, and we just share and share and share. I'm, I'm gonna tell you, I I get tired and i've had to block a few folks (laughs) because they were sharing and sharing and sharing things that and i had to tell them said no this is false and no this isn't correct and you know you can all you can do now is just do a simple google search and um there's a website snopes and snopes is fairly well recognized and as a a fact-checking fact-checking website um sometimes it's 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 not a hundred percent, and so I'm not. Go- I wouldn't dare endorse it and say, "Hey, this is always credible." But it, it is a credible site, but um, it it does miss the mark every now and then. But sometimes all you gotta do is just do a, a Google search. I'll never forget uh, <laughs> uh, the year that um, Mandela, Nelson Mandela, died. Oh, well, that he got ill um, for. All over my social media was just reported that he was dead and I did not research and I shared a story saying that he was dead without researching it. And I had to um, I had to take that post down because it was not accurate. And then there are always the, the death hoaxes. <laughs> this is what gets me. <laughs> I, I mean, people were sharing but we'll share stories of celebrity deaths without investigating it. It just shared, 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 shared. And, and I, I would get them and like, no, this is in, this is not true. And all you got to do sometimes is look at the source material. When you look at a link that is shared on someone's page, all you got to do, if it's, you know, if it says CBS.com, that, that probably could be fairly, fairly, uh, Fairly verifiable, you know, reliable source. But if it has CBS. Dot um, US or org or whatever it may be, <laughs> that probably isn't a fair, uh, reliable source. And and also these these sometimes these links traps you know they they uh, they gather information they expect you to click they they put these crazy headlines and expecting you to click on the link and when you click on the link you of course they now have access to your information they can share it they can sell it they can do whatever Um, and you still share without verifying it and uh, that's a great problem but how much of the truth do we know and, and be honest with you, we don't have an answer to that. We do not know full truth even in our own life. I find that I have found this to be true when um, recalling stories from my childhood I have, I have fond memories of childhood and fun vivid memories of childhood that I have strongly believed to be accurate. And we're sharing that memory with friends from my childhood who have similar memories, but they remember it differently. And so my version would not be the same as theirs or the, you know, (laughs) the events. And my version, I might be the hero. I might be the good guy. (laughs) And in their version, they're the hero and they're the good guy. (laughs) And so even within our own self, truth becomes subjective. And subjective to our vantage point. Our bias to our our sense of ownership in it. We want to own our own sto- story. And because we want to own our own story. We can manipulate that story however we wish to. As long as key components are in there. And um, there was a, recently a U.S. representative. I'm not going to say that person's name. Uh, when presented with... Um, the truth and the facts that have been verified, valid- validated and everything regarding a particular issue. Uh, this this uh, congressperson simply said, well, that may be the fact, but we need to not just look at the facts, but we need to stick to the, you know, we should look at the overall narrative. In other words, the facts might be the facts, but... We want the narrative to be this way. And this is how we're going to interpret it. And this is how we're going to revan- regurgitate it to our particular audience. This is how we're going to spin it. And uh, news outlets have mastered this. They have mastered the art of spinning uh, truth, facts. <laughs> and uh, as we now, it has come into our, it's, it's been done so much now, it's coming to our vernacular as alternative facts we have now known now know how to use alternative facts now when I grew up fact were facts you know and findings were findings you know you could dispute it by doing another you know researching deeper but for the most part you know you generally if you disagreed Uh, Particularly when it came to research, scientific method, you know, you would go and uh, replicate that. And if you came up with the same findings, then you validated, you know, that's how it works. But in the world that we live in today, facts don't matter. The facts don't matter. And because the facts don't matter, um, there's just simply a a different form of, of truth. It's just a different form of truth. It's not necessarily not the truth, but it isn't quite the truth either. And when that makes our interaction, particularly on social media, very difficult. I, I learned this, you know, the subjectivity of interpretation of truth and statements, of declarative statements in particular, through texting. Uh, you never, you never think you would learn something through texting. <laughs> I, I was texting with a friend and I made a statement and sent it out and you know didn't have any exclamation points or any, any um, any um, what is what's it called? <laughs> punctuation marks. Oh my god! <laughs> didn't have any punctuation marks, right? And so. The person on the receiving end did not know how to properly uh, receive the text message. And um, I'm sure they ponder it for a while. And before long, they responded like, did you mean such and such? Like, no, I didn't mean such and such. I meant what I text. And then I went back and I read through the text. I was like, oh, I can see why that person would believe or perceive it to be. One way when it was not. But when it comes down to the truth. You know. Particularly as a pastor. And as an interpreter of scripture. My job is to. My job week after week. Is to present. uh, Scripture in a way. That is truthful. That is. Reliable. And that is intentional. With the purpose of converting persons to. The faith of Christianity, the faith of Christ, of the Christ. So, I I I don't try to spin it. You know, I don't have to put a spin on it. But there are so many people who do, and it works for them for whatever reason. And when now we, we we find, for example, in the Black community, we're we're developing, we're seeing a new faction uh, come up with the Black Hebrew Israelites, and these young men are buying into this idea that black folk are the ancient jews and we're the true israelites and we're the true hebrews and blah 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 yada yada, yada. of course we know that's not the case uh, <laughs> but they're buying into it by the thousands and it, they also integrate uh, an overarching sense of um anger racism bigotry um, all kinds of stuff into it. And these young men, these young black men are buying into it because it's giving them a sense of validation. It's telling them that they matter and they are not this and the church has only, you know, weakened the black community and and you know, to be a real black man, you need to identify as this. And they present that in a way that sounds truthful. Because the presentation is, you know, uh, is how a lot of people converted. You know, they presented like, "Man, you did you not empowered? You're not liberated? You're not this because you've been you've been told a lie by the church, and because you've been told a lie by the church, you need to get out the church and you need to become a Black Hebrew Israelite, and it's the same with other cults and other uh, non cults. <laughs> anyway. It's, 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 the same, the same premise. Presenting truth in a way that is uh, disenfranchising to those persons who are not fully engaged in finding truth. And you know, a lot of times these guys will read scriptures, and they themselves are not well trained in in articulating, especially you know, at art of interp- uh, interpreting scripture. And sometimes they just read it at face value, take it in the literal sense, and go from there. And there are a lot of people that do that. And same thing when it comes to um, information altogether. You know, when you take information at face value and you don't dig deeper, then you will find that you are more uh, subject to being misled and misinformed. There was a, um, there's a YouTube uh, channel I strongly recommend It's called Crash Course Sponsored by um, Crash Course is sponsored By a group in um, Indiana I believe I can't think of it But it's hosted by John Green Who's both an author And um, He's a YouTube blogger And um, this particular course Crash Course Dealt with um How to how to use digital media? How to interpret digital media? Something to that nature. I can't recall it, but you can simply Google crash course digital media, and I'm sure it will come up. You can see, but I strongly recommend that because it helps you understand how um, digital media, social media, and, and all that involved in that influences us to be misinformed or can it enable us to be better informed if we understand how to um, to interpret it and read through it and all that. And one of the things he talked about was reading laterally and in reading or surfing the web laterally and doing that. And this is what he suggests that by if you come across a particular link So, and you find that the link is pretty credible, or a story, a headline is pretty, you know, for example, we know Michael Jackson died, or uh, Prince died. So, if more than one news source reports it, then you can say that that is a credible story. If there are only one news, say Fox News publishes a story. About uh, President Trump. Now the other news outlets. May publish a similar story. But according to their bias. The information presented. Within the body of that story. May not be the same. Because the initial. The only thing that may be the same. Is the. uh, The main intent. Of the story. So let's say President Trump. Uh, Decides to build a wall Okay so The headlines 9 times 10 Are going to always include The the headline Trump builds wall The body is where The misinformation is Is presented Or the varying information Or uh, conflicting information Or (laughs) the the, That's where it's presented Because one Fox Which is uh, pretty much um, Pro Trump and then the other media outlets mainstream media outlets are usually biased against Trump so um while they may articulate the entirety of the main narrative which is the wall the the underlying support of the main narrative will be different and so so by reading laterally you you get a broader understanding of what each source material is presenting and where their bias lies in their presentation. Now the average person doesn't do that. The average person only goes from one source and takes that one source and runs with it. And that you know that that is where the problem lies when it comes to accessing truth or sharing truth or facts. Um and we don't do that also, we don't do it in our personal engagements with each other. We we don't, we don't really go out and vet each other as we should, you know, sometimes. Because it amazes me. I hear stories of couples who live together, been together 30, 40 years, and their spouse or significant other has a secret that they had no idea about. <laughs> because they don't really fully engage. And that's understandable. You know, sometimes the, the person can have... An affair that goes on for years and the other partner is unaware of it or if they are aware of it they're unaware of the totality of it you understand what I'm saying and that is a problem that must be addressed um but going back to this when it comes to social engagement particularly uh, within the confines of social media we not we must not only just access this but we must be able to interpret it and 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 present this truthfully because uh there's a lot of disinformation intentional disinformation and misinformation presented to us and when you just when you're just online sharing stuff and sharing stuff and sharing stuff um and you're not vetting the source you're contributing to that which is why the Pro-Truth Pledge, as I stated earlier, that I signed. And I encourage you to go there again. Go to pro Pro-Truth, um, org, And you can go and you can see what it's all about. And I encourage you to sign it. Um, it's all about responsibility. Our responsibility. Our responsibility to be uh, not misinformed. To intentionally engage the things that we see when we are trying to share truth. We want to verify it. We want to, uh, we want clarity. We want to be able to cite sources accurately and definitely. With But but we also want balance. We want to be able to say that um, where what we're sharing, particularly, again, within the, the realm of social media, is balanced. And we want to honor truth. We want to be able to Honor, truth, we want to be able to say that there is a truth that is definitive um, and absolute when it comes to stories, when it comes to news stories, when it comes to social media stories and all of that. We want to say that is a truth, absolute truth. For example, with my life, there's an absolute truth. My absolute truth is my name is Lorenzo T. Nil. You ain't got to know what the T stands for. <laughs> but that is an absolute truth about myself. That will not ever change. Even if I change my name. My original birth name will remain the same. That will be the truth about me. Because when I die they may print. If I change my name they will print my change name. But they're going to state that I was born with this name. And I can get into other arguments about that. But I, I I don't even want to go there right now. <laughs> I'm not going there. Um, uh, another absolute truth about me. Is that I wear corrective lenses. I wear glasses. That's the absolute truth. But I can replace those glasses with other corrective lenses such as contacts. And if I really want to get bold I can Replace those contacts with color contacts and so I could change my eye color and I could change um, the corrective w- the lens that I wear. But the absolute truth is that I will still be wearing corrective lenses, <laughs> you know, unless I qualify for LASIK surgery, <laughs> and then I will not be wearing corrected lenses, but my l- eye lens itself will have been corrected. But I would still have been born with the necessity to wear a corrective lens. <laughs> another absolute truth, another absolute truth is that I have a dog <laughs> named Jackson. Now uh, my dog is a mixed breed. Some would say he's a mutt. <laughs> But I have a dog named Jackson. That is my pet. But what I will say is true. I call him my child. Because I I don't have any children. So I treat him like a child. (laughs) I relate to him as a child. and, And every now and then I've heard myself call him son. And he responds as if he understands. But I know and it's the absolute truth. That he is a pet. He is a dog. He is not my child. And that while he is responding to me. He is not responding to me. Because he is absolute in his relationship to me. But because he's a pet. <laughs> and he's been trained to respond to me. In that capacity. And while I may interpret some of the things that he does. Or the the sounds that he, he makes. I may interpret them within the constraints and framework of human understanding and behavior and sound. It's just barking, really, you know. So he barks when he wants something and I interpret that and understand it. Like when he wants water, his water bowl is, is empty and he wants me to pour water. He recognizes what a cup is. He'll bark to the cup. Knowing that I will recognize that him barking at the cup is him telling me he wants water. That's absolute. Anyway, I digress. (laughs) I said all that for us to understand the great need for uh, truth in our our life. In our engagement with one another. We're not ever going to know full truth. We're not going to know it all. Absolute truth. Even within our um, religious constructs. We uh, have not settled on absolute truth. And with more persons believing in the flat earth. uh, They are questioning absolute truth. Regarding certain laws of physics and stuff like that. So we won't have a full grasp on that. Even if we believe we do. But what we can do and what we should be doing is encouraging all people to think. Tell them and encourage them to think. Enable them to think for themselves, to be free thinkers. Enable them to be skeptical. And there's no harm in being skeptical, there's no harm in being free thinking. I think it's liberating. And even if you are believing Christ, you know, you're not to be conformed to the world, but you'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is how we should be. And I believe when we do that, we do so in, in an empowering way, liberating way. Listen, I, as I get ready to go out of here, I want to thank you all for your support. Um, all that you do and every bit of support you give helps me to continue with this program. Uh, if you'd like to support me, you can go to Patreon.com. And slash Lorenzo T. Neal, patreon.com slash Lorenzo Neal, uh, T. Neal, and you will you can subscribe, you got uh, become a patron for as low as a dollar a month or however you will, and we will offer opportunities and um, gifts to you who subscribe to more. Also, you can also support me on PayPal, um, you can support me, uh, <coughs> excuse me, um, financially, however you can, you should do so. We have another book that will be coming out shortly. It's actually uh, Reflections from Pastor's Notes or something like that. I can't remember working towel, but it, <laughs> it's sad. But that should be coming out shortly. Go to LorenzoTNeal.com and you can pre order for that. And also, um, if you uh, subscribe, we may be giving you uh, we'll double that and give you a copy of uh, Preaching the Family along with that. But we support, appreciate all of your support. Uh, Help me uh, to make the world a better place. Uh, so follow me on on Twitter at LorenzoTNeal uh, Support me on Lorenzo T oh that's my webpage I just gave Lorenzo But at Twitter on Twitter at LorenzoTNeal, And any other social media I might be on, we encourage you to follow us. And um, we thank you in advance for all you're doing. Thank you so much and. This is Dr. Lorenzo T. Neal, and we will out until next time. The Lord be with you. With the Lucky Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.